Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, March the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have a ton of updates to get to. The latest on Robert Quinn's potential trade. Plus, were the Dolphins in on Matt Stafford last year? We take a trip to the owners' meetings to hear from Brian Flores and Chris Greer. We have some updates on contract information, and we'll discuss compliments and conflicts, some basic roster-building principles that have been, well, not so basic in Miami in recent years. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, or the new Himalaya Podcast app. It's great. Check it out. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. You can find my written work as well as Jason Harina, my right hand man who is just always killing it for me. He is at Miami Punks on Twitter. Check out our work on LockedOnDolphins.com your go-to source for all your Dolphins commentary, analysis, news, everything involving the Miami Dolphins football team. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I say this every day, but today it's especially true. I'm going to have a hard time getting this thing in under a half an hour. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins So the very first item on my agenda today goes back to Monday with Robert Quinn. I recorded Tuesday's podcast ahead of time, so I didn't have the updates available. I thought I would just push it all down to a busy Wednesday show, and here we are. And Robert Quinn has been granted permission, as we know by now, to go out and seek contract extensions or contract reworkings with other teams to facilitate a trade from Miami. And the Dolphins eventually will move on from Robert Quinn, I believe. I think they're just waiting for the right compensation because really the Dolphins don't have to move fast on this. They can wait up until training camp. Maybe somebody gets hurt and they can deal him then. As long as they're willing to eat some of that salary, which clearly they are, they can hang on to him and force other teams to up their offers and up their bids. And I think they've done very well to wage a war between the Saints and the Cowboys, two teams that believe they're very close. And I tweeted out on Monday that I believe Robert Quinn could fetch a 2020 third round draft pick from the Saints from Jeff Ireland because he has shown a propensity to be aggressive to build his roster for a one year run like he did with the Saints the last couple of years and they're doing it again this year with Jared Cook coming in, a bunch of defensive free agents being signed to that team. They want to go all in. This could be Drew Brees' last year, and I think Miami should hold out until they can get a future draft pick because, really, they can trade it in for later draft picks because the Saints don't have a first this year. I don't think they have a second-round draft pick. They can mortgage their future to make a run in the interim. It works out for both sides. I think the Dolphins will find a partner. I think they will find a day-two draft pick, at very worst, in my opinion, a fourth-round draft pick. Let's go ahead and change gears here and talk about a couple of articles. I referenced them in the open from Jason Harina. He is at Miami D-Punks on Twitter. Give him a follow. 
and you certainly will not want to miss his training camp coverage, which last year was fantastic. And it's kind of the same style as these articles up on LOD.com. First, we start with Chris Greer as he spoke on Tuesday, or Monday rather, at the owners meetings. And number one on the agenda is the tailoring of the suit. Can we please get Chris Greer a jacket that fits him? My God, it's so sloppy, and he's got the money, he's got the resources. Just get that thing tightened up, my man. He's a good-looking guy. Get him into a good-looking suit, please. That's my first plea. Second, the fact that he was willing to address the quarterback position and the inconsistency of it over the last several years, he referred to Tannehill's time in Miami as, quote-unquote, inconsistent. And that's right. And it's cool to hear him be transparent on that front. I don't know that Chris Greer was the biggest proponent of Ryan Tannehill. I think that might have been a Mike Tannenbaum production, as we've seen over and over again. They talked about the roster and their number one concern. He said franchise quarterback. So you're getting the right answers in terms of what is the most important thing on this team and the position that's most important this year. On the tight ends, talking about Mike Gesicki, and we're going to change gears fast here, guys, so try to keep up if you can. Mike Gesicki, it was unprompted. He talked about how he's heard the coaches talk a lot about the usage of Mike Gesicki in 2019 because last year, using him to stay in for pass protection, 21% or something like that of the time, was one of the most head-scratching decisions in a year full of head-scratching decisions, which we'll talk about here in segment number two. Talking about tanking. Nope, there's no tanking, quote-unquote. On Ryan Fitzpatrick, he sees him as a bridge to a new quarterback in 2019 or 2020, which is incredibly enlightening compared to what you normally would hear from a coach in a setting, or a GM rather, in a setting like this. It's refreshing to hear them actually be transparent on some of this stuff including the contract negotiations with Xavier Howard, which he says, quote unquote, good talks with his agent are going on right now, though a deal is still not close. They have all summer to get that thing worked out. Typically contracts like this get done in the summer, either right before or during training camp. So probably expect that deal to come through sometime in August. On Robert Quinn, he talked about the possibility of those trades that they could have in place for him, that if the team has to keep him, we will. That's a direct quote. But it is pretty clear that their obvious intentions are to go ahead and move on from Robert Quinn. And we will get into Brian Flores' availability on Tuesday, which was much lengthier and more in-depth. But first, a couple of news items. The first one comes from Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald about this idea that the Dolphins maybe were ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill prior to the 2018 season and that Gay's went to his friend Matt Patricia with the Lions to see about Matt Stafford's availability and the trade compensation package started with a first round draft pick and then probably a lot more on top of that. I believe that Matt Stafford's still one of the best 10 or 12 quarterbacks in the NFL and you can certainly do a lot worse than Matt Stafford but where I come in on the idea of acquiring him now is that at age 31 and that contract with this team doesn't make a lot of sense. It would have made more sense last year but still I think they ultimately would have regretted that because because this team needs to find its 21, 22-year-old franchise quarterback to make this thing right and to build long, sustained success. But that is very interesting regarding Ryan Tannehill's stature with the team last year. But that's neither here nor there. The other news item is something that comes in from Cameron Wolf of ESPN, the Dolphins insider. He gave us some contract details on Chris Reed and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you guys know I'm high on Chris Reed. I believe he will start at right guard on opening day. But he didn't really do a whole lot in Jacksonville to garner a big free agent contract. And so in my opinion, if he plays the way I think he can... The Dolphins get a steal because he's here on a two-year contract that's worth just about $3 million and 500000 of that guaranteed. 
and 1 million of that salary this year with the 500,000 via a roster bonus and a $50,000 workout bonus next year. The Dolphins have the team option in 2020. So if he plays well, they could have a right guard in 2020 on a dirt cheap contract. And then there's Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract, which comes in at two years, 11 million bucks. He gets five and a half guaranteed in 2019 with a $4 million roster bonus paid out and a $1.5 million base salary. He will count five and a half million against the cap in 2020. He gets $5.5 million with 1.5 of that guaranteed. And there are $5 million worth of escalators tied into that contract based on playing time, playoffs, and team offensive rankings. So the Dolphins probably don't have a guarantee on Fitzpatrick into year number two. It sounds like that could cost them possibly the Cameron Wake compensatory draft pick. We will see on that. I'll get more details later on this week for you guys on that idea. But also from Cameron Wolf on his Twitter timeline, he talked about how he has not yet seen Brian Flores more adamant than talking about the idea of a tank. Quote, I won't stand for it, end quote. And we're going to come back and pick up that as well as the rest of Brian Flores' media availability here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter, at NFL and the show, at Locked On Fins. You have to give props to the National Football League for always finding its way into the spotlight as here we are mid-March, or I guess the end of March, in the middle of the NCAA basketball tournament. And here the NFL is right in the middle of the news and the headlines with the owners meetings in Phoenix, Arizona, talking about coaches and their plans for their football team and the draft and possible trades and contract extensions. All of this stuff that really used to be pretty much by the wayside, now takes the forefront of sports media. And we have a very detailed article up on LockedOnDolphins.com titled Brian Flores Update Status of Miami Dolphins, straight to the point, written by our staff editor, Jason Harina, at Miami D Punks on Twitter. And he basically chronologicaled the entire hour-long media availability. So if you haven't had time to check it out or listen to that availability, you can check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We're going to go over the highlights right here, right now on the podcast. And the first part, which Jason says is the best part, I probably agree with him, is that Bill Belichick came over and wished Brian Flora as well. I know this is going to be very, very not well received on a Dolphins podcast, but Bill Belichick seems to be kind of getting nicer in his later years. And I think that it's probably just difficult to be an ass to Brian Flores because he is so well-liked and so well-respected in the league. But he comes over and says hi to him and wishes him luck in his future endeavors with the Miami Dolphins. And then the first thing that came up, as it always does and probably will the entire offseason, is this idea of tanking. And here's the quote. No, there's no tanking. You can write that over and over again. I think the term tanking is disrespectful to the game. I don't like the term. I don't like when people use it. This game has done a lot for me personally. It's the one thing that leveled the playing field for me to disrespect the game and to use that term. It stirs something up inside of me. And that goes back to the Cameron Wolf idea that he's never seen Brian Flores in his short time with him more adamant than this idea of tanking. So it's great to see that Flores, I mean, he has to say that. You're obviously not going to come out and say, yeah, we're going to try to lose 12 or 13 games this year to secure our quarterback. 
but he did come out and very, very concisely stomped out the idea that this coaching staff has anything in mind besides winning football games. Again, the quote is much more expansive there. Find it on LockedOnDolphins.com. The next idea was creating competition, or the next question rather, and he said, quote, anytime you can create competition at a position, you do it. Competition brings out the best in us. You want to build that competition within your own roster. So kind of a nothing burger there, but still you get the idea. The next bullet point was talking about his current roster, and the only really great quote pulled from that is that if you're one of the best 11 guys, you'll be on the field. I like to hear that, and we're going to talk about Kiko Alonso on tomorrow's podcast, by the way, so stay tuned for that. On the 2020 season, Brian Flores gives you the cliche coaches speak answer, I don't think too far ahead. When you think too far ahead, you aren't thinking about the present, and on and on and on. And then there was a comment about the offensive line, and Jason mentions this in the article, that the first line was really the most telling of their plan as Brian Flores says quote we'll obviously have an emphasis on the offensive line in this draft end quote and that goes into the idea that you know they do have to protect on the offensive line something that's near and dear to Brian Flores' heart as he says in the availability but this draft class is so loaded in that back end of the first round to the end of day two the first to third round range Miami could really conceivably pick up two starters in this draft if they do it right, and I hope they acquire more picks to make it happen. He talked more about Charles Harris and how he has the ability to play in space. He's got size and speed. Athleticism plays hard, does a lot of things well. He's an interesting player on our team. Again, refer to the article on LockedOnDolphins.com for the rest of those quotes. And then on Ryan Fitzpatrick, he talked about his leadership first and foremost, that he watched a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the one thing you hear over and over about Ryan Fitzpatrick is his ability to connect with the players, both on offense and on defense. And he's the kind of leader that's a great fit. We're excited to have him. He's a hard worker, very intelligent guy. And how many times have I talked about those traits on the podcast? It's clear to see why they wanted Fitzpatrick to be the guy to groom whoever the next guy is. And then he talked about Kenyon Drake, who is an explosive player. He's seen it firsthand. Unfortunately, he says he catches the ball well. He's a good runner. He's a talented player, runs hard. I think that'll be interesting to see how they delineate the backfield workload. He talked about by committee or workhorse. Those are phases people throw out there. But I think the guys that perform in practice and produce in games, those are the guys that are going to be out there. So he's obviously a fan of Kenyon Drake. On Jesse Davis, the versatility on the offensive line is critical. Something we've talked about here on the podcast. He can play tackle. He can play guard. For my money, Jesse Davis long-term would be best served as a swing tackle and interior guy, the sixth offensive lineman. But he might have to start this year because the Dolphins' offensive line just really isn't up to snuff yet in terms of the way they want to be built. But again, Flores talks about getting the guys in the right spot where they can most help the team. And he did refer to the fact that you can only dress 46 players on game day and that some of those guys have to be able to play multiple positions. And that's why Jesse Davis, I think, is part of this team's long-term future. He talked about communication and how it's the first and foremost most important thing from ownership to managers to presidents to head coaches. There has to be an alignment on philosophies and a communication on a day-to-day basis that allows for a good working environment which is something we have just perpetuated on the podcast and really took it at face value for Greer and Flores' comments back at the Combine and their introductory press conferences that that was the idea they were going to build this football team on, communication, intelligence, and prioritizing football. Well, they're still going to be talking about that into March, into camp, and I'm sure throughout the course of their tenure here in Miami. There are plenty more topics he covered, including minority head coaches, the NFL meetings in general, the outside perception of the team on how a coach can 
mentor him on clock management, on being the head coach up to this point on the draft process, on his tight ends, on Kiko Alonso, on TJ McDonald and Eric Rowe and Minka Fitzpatrick. Again, LockedOnDolphins.com, Brian Flores updates status of Miami Dolphins. Check that out. And while you're there, check out my piece that published this morning titled Compliments and Conflicts, where I looked at the Dolphins roster building of the last couple of years. And this has been a point of contention for me off and on, whether it was looking at Mike Tannenbaum's misconstruction, Jeff Ireland's misconstruction, the resource allocation of certain positions and how much they made in terms of their total dollar value compared to the rest of the league. And you guys know it's been wonky for a while, but I wanted to compare why Rashad Jones's play fell off and how they've built this roster in a way that didn't complement one another because that's the new in vogue term in the NFL. And frankly, maybe it's not that new because it's something teams have talked about for the last few years that you want to find a team that can play solid defense and run the football, or you want a team that can throw the ball all over the lot and rush the passer on the other side. You have to have complementary skill sets, find multiple ways to win games and create an identity that way in terms of having the fallback thing you can rely on, like a strong running game, like your all pro quarterback, whatever it might be, be complementary. And that is the opposite of what the Dolphins have done. I went back and explored Rashad Jones' 2015 season when really, frankly, it was comparable to Landon Collins' 2016 season. And in 2016, Landon Collins was among four players in the voting for Defensive Player of the Year. And Rashad Jones in 2015 wasn't even a first-team All-Pro. So he's been slided his entire career. And then Matt Burke gets here, or really, honestly, TJ McDonald gets here and changes everything for Rashad Jones. He goes from being the fourth overall safety in 2012, has a bad year in 2013 where he's a 99th safety in the NFL. Then in 14, 15, and 16, he goes 13th, 10th, and 9th. And he's always near the top in terms of run stop percentage, something a strong safety does all the time. And then McDonald got here. And he was never higher ranked in in Los Angeles than 76th overall safety in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. And they moved Rashad Jones's position to suit TJ McDonald's position at strong safety. And Jones goes from playing 311 box snaps in 2017 to 136 in 2018. Of course, the back end of 2017, McDonald was around for. He was not there for the first eight games, but a full season with both of them. Rashad Jones was almost never in the box. And that complimentary football just really wasn't part of their general vision and their general plan under Mike Tannenbaum because you look at what happened with Minka Fitzpatrick and Bobby McCain. Now, I will never say that Fitzpatrick was a bad draft pick. He was definitely not. He's an excellent player, but they draft him and his best position is in a slot where they just give Bobby McCain a contract extension two months after they drafted Fitzpatrick. So two good players, but again, both guys that play kind of the same position and Fitzpatrick can roll back into safety and he probably will. But again, his best spot is slot cornerback or Cam Wake, who got Olivier Vernon and got Andre Branch paid because of the way he gets upfield and pushes the quarterback off the top of his drop and into the top of the pocket. Well, they go out and they get Robert Quinn, who does the exact same thing and creates all this space for the quarterback to step up because the Dolphins didn't replace Ndamukong Sue as an interior pocket collapser. Now, there were some situations on the roster where they did do it right. William Hayes, for instance, was a great compliment to Cam Wake. I thought Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe, although both had very disappointing rookie seasons, are contrasting players that really complement one another well. Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson, though both small and very fast, they play in that 12 personnel package very well together because Wilson is so versatile in terms of his position flexibility. 
So the idea is that they want to do a better job complimenting the roster and the guys that do things well, they want to complement that skill set like they did with Eric Rowe, who can basically jam and play physical at the line of scrimmage and tempt the team to beat him deep with safety coverage rolling over the top because on the other side, one guy can lock it down and that, of course, is Xavier Howard. Or Dwayne Allen, who will free up Mike Kosicki to play that detached tight end role and do away with all the pass protection responsibility he had in 2018. So the Dolphins failed forever to compliment Rashad Jones. And now I think one of the priorities of this new organization, this new regime, is to compliment Mika Fitzpatrick in a way they never did with Rashad Jones. Whew, oh boy. Okay, I told you guys this was going to be a fast episode, taking it in through a fire hose, and we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and talk about Rob Gronkowski, talk about the blindside blocks, and are the Dolphins ushering in a new uniform in 2019? We'll talk about all that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins. Now, there are some things in life that are always going to be divisive, whether it's political stances or how you feel about a particular football player. People will have themselves dug in on topics to where they refuse to have their minds changed. And I try not to be that way for the most part. I'm sure I'm guilty of it just as much as most people. But the one that really surprises me is the stance on Kiko Alonso and that he is a productive player. Now, I know the statistics support the fact that he is a productive player with the takeaways, with all the tackles, but as a film connoisseur of sorts, a guy that loves to watch what happens every single play, I just don't see it with Kiko Alonso. I never did see it with him with the Dolphins. Now, he does have the timely takeaway. He will hustle to the football and make plays that way. But a lot of his tackles come downfield. A lot of the time he gets turned around by quicker players. And a lot of the time he can't get himself into the right space and coverage on a spot drop. He doesn't offer much as a blitzer. We'll talk about this more on tomorrow's podcast. But the news comes across from Omar Kelly that apparently... The Dolphins are intent on keeping Kiko Alonso this year. Again, I don't see where the scheme fit is, what role he plays in this defense, because it's not really translatable to anything that any Patriots linebackers did last year with Brian Flores or Patrick Graham in Green Bay for that matter. Let's go ahead, though, and change gears. Again, we'll talk more about Kiko on tomorrow's podcast. But speaking of the Patriots and their defense on their offense, They lost a pretty big portion of their offense when Rob Gronkowski, after nine years of dominant performance in the NFL, decided to hang things up. And even when he was banged up or at his worst, I felt like Gronkowski's best games came against the Miami Dolphins. So I am glad to see him go. I'm glad to see him maybe transition into a role as an actor or a wrestler, whatever it might be. He'll be more fun to watch that way than he was to watch with the Patriots because, frankly, he always killed us. And speaking of other rule changes and blocking changes, the NFL did away with the blindside block, which to me is almost a revolutionary shift in the landscape of the game we all know and love because you'll recall last year, Andre Branch put Taylor Lewan into a body bag with a blindside block. And it's a big part of the game, the crackback. Heinz Ward made a career out of it, made a living out of it. And now you can't do it. If the player, if the defender is in pursuit from behind and is chasing either parallel to his own end zone or back towards his own end zone, you can't hit him. And I don't understand it because I think the offensive player 
He's got to find a way to get in the way and make an impact. So I guess all he can do now is stand there and throw a basketball-like pick and just basically set his feet and take the charge and take the brunt of the hit, which is a disaster to me because the story I've always been told is the best way to get yourself injured is to play less than 100% full go, full motor. So I hate the rule. But again, that's how the NFL is going to survive. We know all this research and studies done on CTE and the crippling damages that come with an NFL career. So I guess it's yin and yang. We have to take the good with the bad, but that's where we are in 2019. No more blindside blocks. And to finish up this podcast, we have to talk about some uniform changes because the Dolphins announced that they will have the same uniforms, but they will introduce another alternate jersey in 2019 on top of the throwback that everybody loves, the aqua with the striped shoulders. It sounds like Miami, per Tom Garfinkel, which is the best source there is, will wear the white throwbacks this year, which were the greatest uniforms in team history, in my opinion. You go back to 2003 in Dallas on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, the Chris Chambers game, the Jason Taylor strip sack and return for a touchdown game, the Jay Fiedler game. I guess Ricky Williams had some part in that game as well. A beatdown of the Dallas Cowboys in those great uniforms. And might we be seeing that again in 2019? It sounds like Miami might get that national TV game against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, which will be a 4.30 kickoff Eastern time for you fans out in South Florida. 1.30 for me and the West Coast people out here that love this Dolphins team so much. And... With that, I think that's a great spot to end the show today. We're going to come back on tomorrow's episode. We might have a Twitter mailbag. I want to get into my Kiko Alonso argument because Twitter blew up on my timeline today with my Kiko comments, so I better defend myself on that on the podcast. Either tomorrow or at a later date, we will see. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. If you have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked on Dolphins podcast and pull us up right away. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or the new Himalaya Podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. You're the best I know My sunny side is up in that I'm